Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Good at the 11 a.m.? Hey, last week we started this series, and it was pretty appropriate, um, and I just want to acknowledge it. We had, in both of our services, in-house uh, last weekend, 20 adults that made decisions for the first time to follow Jesus and trust Jesus, which is worthy of celebrating. And if you're one of those people, and then others, I think, online, but those who were in the house, um, man, my prayer for you is to take a next step, and one of the best next steps is baptism which may seem intimidating. And baptism is not like, oh, I got it all together. Opposite, maybe you've made a decision, you're like, I'm still a mess. That's really what salvation is. I'm a mess, but Jesus saved me. Baptism is just a declaration of that. Maybe I'm still a mess, but here's what Jesus has done. And what I have found is that initial willingness to take the step that maybe could be scary of baptism kind of is a catalyst for other decisions in this new journey. And so I'd love for you to take the step. You can go to the app. Um, you can go to the info center outside. We'd love to just, you know, if you have any questions, answer questions, but our next one comes up in a few weeks. And I wanna see you take a next step. The other thing is last week we ran out of cards where we give you just information about this new journey because we really care about people not just making a decision, but really belonging and tracking in this new um, journey to following Jesus. So if you didn't get that, go to the info center. We'd love um, to get your information to get that to you. Um, but I just wanna celebrate that today. And then I wanna say this, next weekend we conclude the series and it's our spooktacular, which is a big thing in CC Kids. And they have all kinds of stuff going on um, with, I don't know, games and trick-or-treating or if you grew up Baptist, whatever you call that. And like all kinds of other stuff, super cool. Um, and we have kind of a fall fest for adults, um, vendors, just all kinds of fun stuff to connect and be a part. And here's where I just wanna encourage you. It's a great weekend to invite. And what we have found, and this may surprise you, is generally the first time somebody invites, especially if you're new, and then somebody takes you up on that invitation, it's the first time where you start to feel like, I'm a part of this. Like I belong, I, like I'm a part of this movement and mission. I can't explain it, but it's a big deal. So I, I want you to experience that. And like I just mentioned, um, you have no idea what God's gonna do through that invite. A couple that Nicole and I, my wife just got to know, mentioned to us, we didn't even know a church like this existed until somebody invited us. And they invited us and our life has begun to change. And what I'll guarantee you is, you know people like that. And so next week, if you're a part of our church, we are missionally focused on our city and not just ourselves, so it's a great time to invite. So with that, um, this is part two of Ghost Stories. And we strategically made this in October because it's the perfect time to do it. I think this topic can seem weird, spooky, over the top. Um, I said last week, my kids, not huge fans yet, of scary movies. In fact, we're still at the phase where last night we watched um, The Haunted Mansion by Disney and my four-year-old is terrified today. So that's where we're at. Um, but for some of you, this topic feels like, I even said like Holy Ghost, that terminology sounds weird. It, it sounds like snake handlers to me. Um, it's spooky, it's weird, it's ethereal. And that's kind of part of the problem because generally um, either people's experience or when this has been talked about, it's one of two extremes. It's the extreme of Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, which is just overly emotional, sometimes weird. And if I were to be really honest, which I try to be every week, kind of manipulative. Like if you do God will and this, it just gets really odd or the things that people chalk up to the move of the Spirit of God, they're just like, what are you talking about? That's one extreme. Then the other extreme is you don't even mention it. Like there, there's no even teaching around it. And in some ways, there's no real expectations and there's no power. And we completely miss out on why this is so incredibly relevant to our lives. But it is incredibly relevant to our lives. And here's the thing that we said last week. If you haven't experienced it yet, and I pretty much bet you have, 
or you're there right now, at some point along the way, life is gonna get overwhelming and life is gonna get like to where it feels overpowering. And you're gonna face something where maybe up to this point you felt like you had it and then you're gonna realize I'm in over my head, I can't do it, I can't solve this. And no matter how legit you are, I'm telling you that's coming for you. Like you're gonna get to a place where you just recognize I can't fix it. I can't heal it. I don't know how to save them. I don't know how to reach my adult kid. I don't know how to make this financial disaster better. And you will feel overwhelmed and you will feel overpowered. And Jesus knew that. And one of the reasons that he sent us the Holy Spirit, who's also called a helper, for his power, his strength, his help, is because he knew that we were gonna get to a place in life where we couldn't do it on our own. We, were, we would be in over our head. Heck, we would fail over and over again at trying to follow Jesus. We needed help. And so there's this incredible moment where Jesus promises, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And this isn't an it, and I can't explain this, So, but we believe that there's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that it's one God in three persons. That's the end of my theological lesson right there. But the scripture teaches it, and that God has sent the Holy Spirit, not as an it, but as a person to live in us. And as I said last week, that kind of freaked me out as a kid, because nothing that lives in you is ever good. From the poltergeist to um, the food poisoning that I got this week in Atlanta on Wednesday where I literally wanted to die. Like whatever it is, and God's like, no, no, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to live in you. And it's not an it, it's a person to relate to you personally. That literally God's means for communicating his power and his presence would be the spirit of God in every single individually individual who believed and trusted Jesus and decided to follow Jesus. Like that was the promise that he was gonna show off his power in us through the spirit of God. That it wasn't just God with us. Like that's a big deal. It's God in us. And God knew that we would need that. And so there's this incredibly powerful moment. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room and he's about to be betrayed and crucified. And all the guys are incredibly fearful because they know the, you know the city of Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem, it's closing in around them. They were popular. Now they know some people, they wanna take Jesus down. And so they're afraid, but they're thinking, as long as we got Jesus, we're gonna be good. And Jesus turns to these guys who are, by the, you know, every moment becoming more and more terrified. He's like, hey guys, don't worry. I'm gonna leave. And they're like, What? Like things have never been worse than they are right now. And we're terrified, but we're thinking like, we've seen what you can do. If we've got you, you'll probably figure a way forward. And now you're telling us that you're leaving. And then Jesus makes this extraordinarily on the surface absurd statement. I'm about to leave. I'm, I'm peacing out on planet earth and I'm sending you something better. And again, they've watched Jesus in action. They've seen what Jesus is able to do. They believed at this point that he's the son of God, even though they're gonna deconstruct their faith over a weekend and then come back to faith again after the resurrection. But they're believing Jesus, and yet he's saying he's gonna leave and send something better, or literally, this kind of translation, he indicates to them that the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is what he's promising to them, is better than Jesus beside you. That the spirit of God and his power and his presence in you is gonna be better than hanging out with Jesus on planet earth. The guy who could raise the dead or give sight to the blind or command nature because God was gonna do something that was so unique. It's not just God with you. It is God's power, God's spirit, God's strength inside of you. And it's available to everybody. This is not for like some unique, special people who get a special gift. God's going, every person throughout history who places their faith and trust in Jesus will have the power, the strength, the enabling, the power of the spirit of God in them. So then this whole thing gets rolling and he makes this promise and he's crucified and then he rises from the dead, I believe historically. And, and then Luke records in the book of Acts what happens after the resurrection where basically Jesus for 40 days hangs out with people. He's like, I'm alive. And hundreds see him all over the city of Jerusalem. Then the disciples wait for 10 days because that's what Jesus instructed. And then on day 50, which is what Pentecost means, Pentecost comes. And it's this massive celebration in Jerusalem where all these people from all the surrounding areas come and there's about 120 of the original followers and a bunch of other people. And suddenly these people who were hiding in upper room apartments, they were scared for their life. They were afraid out of their mind are in Jerusalem talking about the fact that Jesus didn't just die. He came back to life. They could walk to the grave and disprove it if it wasn't true. And suddenly they're not afraid anymore. And it says in Acts that 3,000 people on opening day in Pentecost 
as the Holy Spirit is being, you know, inhabiting and as they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people place their faith and their trust in Jesus and the movement begins to move. And God begins to work in an unbelievable, incredible, like out of this world kind of way. And then what you find though is something that I wanna clue on, in on that gives us incredible insight in terms of this whole idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I said this last week, if you're new to faith, you're trying to figure this out, I'm just gonna acknowledge what you feel. This whole topic is weird, but stick with me as long as you can. But Jesus makes this promise and then you see this incredible insight from these individuals in terms of how they pray because in Luke, or in Acts, Luke records kind of the first prayer after the filling of the Holy Spirit of these individuals. And it's so telling because what you find out is, not just for them, but for us 2000 years later, that how you pray indicates your availability to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That how you pray, that what you pray about is an indication of your availability to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, here's a question I've asked you before in previous messages, if you've been around here, but it's just, it's an interesting question that's a little bit of a twist the knife question because generally we don't grade out well. But if I was to ask you, what do you normally pray about? What would you answer? Like, what do you normally pray about? And the thing is, and I've said this before, I kind of know already because we're all the same and we just get involved in life and day to day and we don't even pray that often, but then you hit a bump at work and you're like, God, I need you. Or, you know, your kids are struggling and you have a bad day or it's like a 911 prayer on the way to work. Um, so it may not even be that, that consistent, but most everybody at some point along the way has prayed. In fact, it's interesting, people who don't even believe in God find themselves praying every once in a while to a God they don't believe in because it gets so bad. It's just an in-case prayer. But everybody prays, every, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody prays every once in a while. And generally, here's what we pray for. Um, we pray for ourselves. We pray for our thing, our deal to get better, and our kitchen reno is taking too long, and my kid really, you know, needs to score a goal because his self-esteem, and I'm praying that you'll do something at work, and I can't stand that girl, so if you could do something with her. And, like, we tend to, just honest prayer, we just tend to pray for us. And then we'll pray for our family, generally, because you're a good Christian. And then you'll pray for, like, two or three sick people that you can remember. But it's like pretty much, am I wrong? It's maybe not you, but a lot of us. It is like you, it's some family members, and it's two or three, six people that we can remember. And then generally some of the stuff we pray for, and I'm, don't take offense, this is absurd. I mean, you can pray for it, and God, so I'll, I'll preface it, God has invited you to pray for it. But in some cases, it's all we ever pray for. It's just, God, I need more money. God, like I've overspent my budget again, and I need a miracle from you. It's God, like my kid needs help and I, they need to get into the school. God, I need my face to clear up so I can get a date. It's like, it's whatever. And you can pray about it. God, I need the bucks to make the playoffs. God, I need like you to do something in my marriage. And, and it's just stuff that like, God, help me find my car keys. I, like help this to not be the alternator. And it's like, God has invited you to pray all of those prayers. But if that's the sum total of all you ever pray, like you've missed it. Like we, we've missed it. In fact, God could accumulate all of those prayers and from like a human level, all of your prayers could be answered without any of the supernatural power of the spirit of God involved. Like a lot of that stuff, maybe God will answer your prayer, but we wouldn't even know. I mean, generally I'm probably gonna find my car keys anyway, or my car doesn't even have car keys anymore, or I'm gonna go get new ones, or my face is gonna clear up, or you're gonna get a date by accident, or your kid probably will get a goal and they'll just luck into it. They're sorry, but they just got, they just got lucky. And it's not like that happens. You're like, God, like, thank you for coming. You don't even remember you prayed for it. It just have most of it's gonna work out. You're probably gonna have a job. You're, you know, something, I mean, and I'm not making light of any of the stuff we walk through, but a lot of the stuff that we pray for, I think every once in a while, the God of the universe who's placed his spirit inside of us is like, would you pray something that tax a little bit of my energy? Like I can clear up your face on a bad day. I can get your kid to ricochet a goal in any day of the week. I want you to pray something in proportion to my power. And I don't wanna overstate it, but I think it's a big deal. And I think as you look at the New Testament and Acts and the Gospels, you see that kind of praying. Pray all that stuff all day, every day. I'm making fun of you, but it's fine. I do the same thing too. I'm praying that the Bucks make the playoffs this year. And I'm not even really kidding. Like you can pray for all. But God, God's gonna come on. 
I, I want you to pray something bigger. I want you to position yourself to experience my power. And what you will find after re- resurrection is a bunch of people who are cowards and are afraid and we're wondering where all of this is going become bold, courageous, powerful. And what you will discover is that they prayed for that. And God answered that prayer. So go back to Pentecost. There's all this energy, Jesus rises from the dead. Hundreds of people have seen him. And now there's 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem that have placed their faith and trust in Christ. There is so much momentum. And now Peter and John suddenly, like Peter is afraid out of his mind and suddenly they're in the center of Jerusalem and they seem to be fearless. In fact, they go into the temple, which is a big deal because now the religious leaders feel like Peter and John are undermining the temple because they have this new movement called the way that seems like it's in opposition to you know, the ancient temple system because they're like, well, actually we don't need a temple anymore because we've been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is like the temple in us so we're portable temples, that's a whole theological thing and we don't really need a sacrifice because Jesus was the final sacrifice so we don't really have to offer sacrifices in the temple anymore and actually we don't need a priest either because Jesus said he's the final priest and we don't, need, we don't have an you know, intermediator, we can just have direct access to God and they're like, well, that's, that's just kind of blowing up our entire religion so we have a problem. So there's all this tension and so Peter and John are going to the temple, the religious leaders in their mind feel like these guys don't have any authority. They have you know, bought into this knockoff religion, but somehow they're denying the fact that it's true, even though Jesus has risen from the dead. So as Peter and John, when they are going into the temple, they see this guy who's been begging on the steps of the temple who hasn't been able to walk his entire life. And his whole means of being able to support himself is just begging for money. And so people would see him every day. They probably knew his name. Um, They wouldn't generally wave to him. They would just avoid eye contact, go to the other side of the steps. But he was there every single day. And Peter and John one day are going to the temple. This is within weeks after the resurrection with all of this stuff still going on in the city. And they see this guy and unlike most, they start to talk to him and they're like, listen, sorry, we don't have any money. But so happens God's done something pretty unique in our city and God has given us a unique power um, or ability to cry out for him to do something incredible by the power of the Holy Spirit so that everybody would know that what Jesus has done is real. And so they heal this guy who hasn't been able to walk his entire life. Suddenly he can walk. And so Peter and John heal him. I don't know if they pray over him. Then they go into the temple and then this guy who's not been able to walk his entire life just gets up and follows them into the temple. And everybody knows who he is. Like this is Frank who kneels on the steps because he can't walk. Somebody literally drags him there every day, begs for money. And now he's sitting up or walking around the temple and all this commotion starts. And so Peter's like, this is an incredible time to preach a message. Among the very people who just crucified Jesus, who don't like us, who think we're undermining the temple and we just healed the guy. But this is the perfect time to preach a message in their temple about the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. So that's exactly what Peter does. And there's so much tension and so much surrounding this that in Acts 4, 1, Luke records this, that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And by the way, just again, these are the same dudes that about six weeks ago had Jesus arrested, crucified, and murdered. That's who we're dealing with. And there they are in the temple and Peter begins to speak. In verse two, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, the what? The whole foundation of the movement is the resurrection of Jesus. They're proclaiming, not his teachings, the fact that this guy, Jesus, rose from the dead. And what I love is several weeks before, it was the disciples who were greatly disturbed. Not anymore. (laughs) And there they are in the temple, seemingly fearless. And there's kind of two groups, Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders. One group believed that a resurrection was possible. And like many today, which you can understand, another group believed there's no way a resurrection is possible. But the one thing that did unite them is somebody needs to shut up Peter and John. It's not good for business for any of us, whether Pharisee or Sadducee, in terms of what we're trying to do. It's undermining us. So we, listen, we crucified Jesus so we could stop the movement, stop the leader, stop the movement. And so now if there is a new leader, we need to end them too. And so in verse three, they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message did what? Believed. Believed. And what they believed in, I mean, it was pretty easy. They knew Jesus lived, they all met him. They knew Jesus died, many had seen it happen. They'd smelled the smells, they'd heard the, the cries. 
But they also believed that he had risen from the dead and he appeared to hundreds at the same time. And when Jesus rose from the dead, this is the message of Jesus, it validated everything that he said, that forgiveness, that hope, that life in him was possible. And they appeared to hundreds of people. And so they believed and the message and the movement grew to 5,000, which is, by the way, this is crazy, about 10% of the population of Jerusalem at the time. That the whole movement, this whole city has been turned upside down. And so verse five, the next day, Word spreads to about the 120 initial initial followers that Peter and John have been arrested. So it says now, the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem to try to figure out what to do with these guys. In verse six, these names are important. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas and John and Alexander, incredible detail, and others of the high priest's family. And what's interesting about those names and the specificity of all of that is those are exactly the names in the gospels, the same people that had Jesus arrested, crucified, ultimately killed. This is the guys that Peter and John is standing before. And so verse seven, Peter and John brought them, they brought them before them and they began to question them. By what, help me out, by what power or by what name do you do this? By what power or by what name do you do this? Now just pause for just a second. How would you answer that? How would you answer that? With all the context, like you're, you're not in a safe place. Everything is closing in on you. You are painfully aware that your leader six weeks before was brutally executed. You are aware that you are not popular. There is no book deal coming from this. Like nothing is going your way. Whatever you answer right now in alignment with Jesus and Jesus' resurrection is not gonna go well for you. And now you are being asked the question, like by what power, what authority, what name do you do this? And it's so important because Peter's like type A guy. He's the first to speak. He's the first to go, Jesus, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. And then he's the first to deny cowering to a school-age girl in a courtyard over Easter weekend going, I don't even know who he is. And yet in this moment, he's asked the question, and come on, how would you answer that question? How would you answer that question if the walls of Jerusalem are closing in around you? You know your life is at stake. Nothing is going your way, but you are absolutely certain that the spirit of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead six weeks earlier lives in you. How do you answer that question? And suddenly this guy that was fearful is without fear because his fear had been replaced by faith. And it wasn't that he didn't have anything to fear, he had everything to fear. It wasn't that there was nothing to be terrified over. He had every reason to be terrified. And suddenly he stands there with the the question of by what name, what authority, and what power do you do this with everything to lose? In verse eight, then Peter filled with the what? Holy Spirit. Suddenly, guy is different. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if you're being called, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, hasn't been able to walk, and being asked how we healed him, you just need to know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, I know who I'm talking to. Hey, Annas, what's up? Caiaphas, good to see you again. You crucified him, but whom God raised from the dead. And you gotta imagine those whose faith are not quite where Peter's at. It's like, hey, hey, Peter, you ought to tone down the rhetoric, man. Like, do you understand who you're talking? And yet Peter is in the middle of the temple going, oh, you wanna know by what power, what authority, by what name we're doing this? by the name of Jesus, the one that you guys crucified and that God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. All throughout Acts, this is the message from these guys who had everything to lose and six weeks earlier were afraid for their lives and cowering in fetal positions. Suddenly they're like, hey guys, we know who you are. We're not afraid any longer because our leader came back from the dead and we just want you to know, you guys crucified Jesus. We know it was you and God raised him and you should say you're sorry. Because anytime you try to kill the leader of a movement and they come back to life, you ought to rethink your position. And all throughout Acts, this is their message. And then in verse 12, Peter gets to the conclusion of his message. And he says, salvation. This is the narrow part of Jesus' message. There's not a ton, honestly, that's offensive. You have probably been offended more by Christians than you have by Jesus. But this is the offensive part of Jesus' message. 
This was offensive for Pharisees and Sadducees. This was, are you kidding me? Salvation is found in nobody else other than Jesus. For there is no other name other than Jesus under heaven given to men, human beings, by which we can be saved. That there is one authority and one power and as offensive and as narrow as it is, there is one means to God and it's through Jesus and salvation is found in nobody else other than Jesus. And Peter would say, including you guys who just killed him. And then, I mean, Peter won't shut up. Like he just, he still smells like prison cell. And in verse 13, the guy that had not walked his whole life is standing right beside them as they're corresponding with the religious leaders. And it says in verse 13, when they saw the leaders, the courage of Peter and John, they realized, this is so important, they were what? And they were what? Ordinary guys. They were astonished. And then they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And can I just say this real quick? Because I was reading this years ago and this was such an important passage for me and it really is kind of the modus operandi of how God moves throughout the gospels and the scriptures that he just takes unschooled, ordinary people and he always uses them beyond their capacity. And for some of you, and I don't know who this is, and maybe it's somebody on radio or somebody watching or listening via podcast, but you are, you are right on the brink right now of a decision where God is asking you to step God is asking you to move. It's gonna require some level of faith. It's a little bit risky. It is out of your comfort zone. And can I just tell you that you serve a God that when you position yourself in the center of his will and you know that he's called you, and can I just say this? I know this is a little bit ethereal and it's hard to get handles on. God will call you sometimes to things that you can't explain to anybody else around you. And sometimes there will be certain steps of faith in following Jesus that will be hard to explain. And honestly, there will be a hundred voices around you to go, that's not you. I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's what God has for you. I don't think you're that person. And I just wanna say to you in this moment, if you are on the verge of that decision or step of faith and you are in the center of the will of God, the best that you can understand, that don't ever let anybody tell you that God can't if God has called you. And there are moments and steps of faith where you will be so overwhelmed by your lack of understanding, your lack of skill, your lack of theological education, what you did seven years ago. And yet you serve a God from Old Testament to New Testament who will take people who are way in over their head and use them beyond their capacity. And I'll tell you the three words that make all the difference. These men had been with Jesus. And when you experience what it means to follow Jesus, submit your life under the authority of Jesus, do as best you can, get yourself in the center of his will. God will use you to do things beyond your education, your introverted personality, the fact that you don't feel like you're that person, you've made too many mistakes. That is the scandalous message of the gospel. I'm gonna use you way beyond what you deserve and what you are capable of by the power of the spirit of God in you. And these guys who are unschooled and ordinary, to the astonishment of everybody else around them had been with Jesus and they're fearless and they're courageous. But verse 14, since they could see that the men who had been, who had been healed was standing there. I mean, it's like his second day standing was there with them. There was nothing they could say. And so all the religious leaders are basically like, okay, we're, we're reluctantly, because there's a crowd now and they can see that this guy's healed. He's standing up, he's doing jumping jacks. There's nothing we can. If we try to do something, they're gonna come after us. So we're gonna let you guys go but you have to shut up. You have to shut up about the J name. You got to shut up about the resurrection. It's under, like you need to stop talking. And Peter basically looks right back at these guys like, I can't. I can't stop talking about, not what I've believed, not Jesus' teachings. I, I can't stop talking about what I've seen. So Peter and John, they leave and they head back to a group of these followers who are all kind of huddled up. They had heard about the arrest of Peter and John. They're probably worried out of their mind. And Peter and John get back there and they're all relieved when they see them because they've been let out of prison. And then this is so interesting. This is where I kind of wanted to lead you. And then this whole group of people, they start to pray. And this again, let's just stop and just ask the question in this context, what would you pray for? Like, what would you pray for? You go back to your community group, your friends, you just got let out of prison. Your friend just got, out of, out, got let out of prison, wrongfully accused. I mean, things, you have every reason to go, like, we're just gonna lay low we're gonna get some security. We're gonna tone down the rhetoric. Like, what would you pray? Most of us would pray for God, please keep us safe. 
God bless us, God help us. Or we start to pray, well, God, why would you allow this? Like we've been so faithful. What else do you want us to do for you? I mean, we left nets and followed you. Now we've gone into the temple and we preached your name and people are threatening our life. Come on, God, how could you be good and allow this? Like all of the prayers we, we would pray a lot of times would be about bless, protect, keep us safe. We're a little frustrated with you because if you're a good God, you wouldn't allow any of this stuff to happen. Here's how they prayed. When they heard this, verse 24, the report of Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer. The first prayer after being filled with the spirit of God, sovereign God, meaning you're just in control. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And we said last week, the beginning of creation, the, the Hebrew word ruah means spirit, wind, presence, power, that the spirit of God was present at the beginning of creation to do everything that God did. And then that same spirit in the New Testament, Greek word pneuma, is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Started creation off, raised Jesus from the dead, and now they're recognizing the same power at creation through the Holy Spirit is the same power that is in us. And God is not surprised. And God is not out of control. In verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And then they quote an Old Testament passage that predicts the Messiah would be persecuted. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord. Old Testament prophecy about Jesus and against your anointed one. And then they bring it into the current situation to go, everything that was predicted is happening. Everything that predicted has already happened. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Like this happened six weeks ago. God predicted it all. And they conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And then check this out. They did, this is talking about the leaders, the, the religious leaders, what your power, not their power, what your will, not their will, had decided beforehand should happen that nothing was flying out of control. Here's one of the reasons, and listen, it's okay to pray. Why prayers? God, what are you doing? What? The reason they didn't pray a whole lot of, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, you seem so far, because they were so aware that theologically now it was impossible for God to be far away. God wasn't just with them any longer. God was in them. Amen. And that nothing was taking God by surprise. And so there they are. Verse 29, and it says, and this is their prayer request. Like, this is what they prayed for. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Basically, like, hey, you know what's going on? Can you just, would you, I love they're so polite. Would you just consider the fact they're trying to kill us? Would you consider the fact that we are not light? Can you, can you consider the fact that we don't really know how this is gonna move forward, how we're even gonna survive, how this message is gonna survive, how we're gonna be able to have the strength we need to keep going? What are we supposed to tell the families in this village, God? Would you know everything that's happening around. You know maybe our propensity to begin to doubt you because why would you allow us to have to bear under the weight of all of this? So would you just consider everything that's going on around us and would you enable, would you empower your servants to speak your word with great boldness? And again, if you're the other people that are there at the prayer meeting, you're like, hey guys, I think you got that covered. Like, I think you're good. Like you just got out of jail, still smelling like jail and you went right back to preaching, knowing that your life was at risk. I don't think you need any more boldness. I don't think you need any more power. But, but can I just stop to ask you one more time? Have you ever in your life in the midst of you've got a kid that's at that age right now and like everything was tracking really well and you don't know how to reach them any longer. Or you're in a place in terms of your life that this is not the career trajectory that you wanted, but here you are and you're really for the first time not sure how to fix it. You're not sure what's next. You're in this place right now as a 17 year old and you are so overwhelmed by anxiety, so overwhelmed by what you can't control. You are at the place where you're at the dead end of that relationship and you feel like God's wanting you to hold on and you don't know if you can hold on. Have you ever got to that place where relationally, financially, spiritually, God, I wanna follow you. I don't know if I can follow you because there's things that I genuinely want this, but I don't know if I can give these up. I don't know if I can say no to this and yes to you. Have you ever been to that place spiritually, financially, relationally, emotionally, and in that moment going, God, get me out of this. God, save me. God, protect me. God, bless me. God, why would you allow this? Have you ever been in that moment and prayed, God, would you give me power? 
God, would you enable me? I don't know if I can make this. So I need your power because I am overcome and I am overwhelmed and I am in over my head and I can't do this. And I don't know what the next step is. And I don't know if it's gonna work out because the promise is not a bow on it. But would you rather than just changing my circumstances, would you give me power in the midst of my circumstances? Would you enable me in the midst of my circumstances? Would you strengthen me in the midst of my circumstances? Like one of the primary characteristics of people in Acts who are being filled with the Spirit of God, this continually available power of the Spirit of God is they prayed for it. And they didn't just pray for things to work out. They prayed that whatever God wanted to do in their life, God would enable them and God would empower them. Like, can you imagine, have we ever prayed for that in our life? The message moved beyond the first century because there was a group of people in the midst of circumstances that they could not understand that prayed for power. And then they asked for something even more extreme, at least in the minds of some of us in verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform, what's the word? Miraculous signs and wonders. God, we're asking you to give us power to enable us, to strengthen us, and we're asking you to stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. And it's interesting because like, depending on your background, we can dismiss this because we've seen this become weird and manipulative, so this is the one extreme of this teaching, and like, well, if you, whatever, then God will. If you just have enough faith, God's gonna come through. God's promised you pain-free, problem-free, and if you would just believe enough, God's gonna do it. The only problem with that is God never made that promise. God made the promise in this world that you are gonna have trouble. Things are gonna hit the fans sometimes, but take heart. I've overcome the world, and the power that I used to overcome the world is now in you, and I'm gonna give you whatever you need whenever you need it to face whatever you're facing. And the promise is not if you just believe God's gonna do it. And I'm gonna say what many of you experienced that caused you to walk away from the church because you mustered up all the faith that you could possibly have and God didn't. You prayed all of the prayers in faith and God didn't answer. You believed that God was going to and somebody told you God was going to and a pastor told you God was going to and they laid hands on you and God didn't. Because the problem was never, or the promise was never pain-free, problem-free, everything is going to work out. The promise was that whatever you are facing, whatever you are encountering, and whatever God has called you to, you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you. And God did not sign off on flexing his muscles and showing off his power and acts, and now somehow that is not available to us. And so yeah, God may change your circumstances, but God may not change your circumstances. And one of the expressions of bold faith is to go, God, I believe you can. And I'm asking if you're willing. In fact, the the expression of faith in the New Testament, one time this guy came to Jesus and he wanted his son to be healed. And this extraordinary expression of faith where he said to Jesus, Jesus, I believe you can. And the reason I believe you can is I've watched you do it. I've watched you give sight to the blind. I've watched you cause the blind to be able to see. I've watched you multiply meals. I've watched you command waves and waves to start obeying you. Like I know that you can. And he says this to Jesus. And I am asking and pleading that you would be willing. But even if you're not, I trust you. It's the weird story in Daniel in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you're outside the church things, it's a strange story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow their knee. They're thrown into a huge oven, basically, fiery furnace if you grew up in Sunday school. And I love their declaration that they're unwilling to waver. And they say to the leaders of the world at that time that we believe that God can save us. In fact, we believe that God will save us. And if he doesn't, we trust him. So this isn't everything's gonna work out okay, but can I just share a little bit of my angst? Is I think that we're in a version of Christianity in the West, in America, that has been so consumed by like praying every other Tuesday because things aren't going well at work or every time our kid needs help or every time we're anxious or we need that thing to work out for us, but there is never any real recognition that the power of the Spirit of God is in you and the same power that created the heavens and the earth and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is in you. 
and praying and believing that God could stretch out his hand to heal and perform anything in your life if he's willing. There is no relationship that is beyond reconciliation if he decides. There is no prodigal that cannot come home. There is no addiction or habit that cannot be overcome. There is nothing that God cannot do in your life. And sometimes God moves and shows off his power in proportion to our willingness to ask for it. Stretch out your hands and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus, and the power of the spirit of God. And can you imagine what might happen if you just added that to your prayers? Can you imagine what would happen if our churches started to pray for that? Believing that God can and asking if God's willing, God, give me boldness, stretch out your hands to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders by the power of your Holy Spirit. What you would experience is God move. Here's how it wraps up. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And the question is how in the world did they get there? And part of the answer is they prayed for it. So here's what I wanna ask you and I'll get ready to land this. What about you? Like, what about you? I don't know what you pray for, but what about you? What about us? Like, here's the thing that I, I'm so convinced of. We so romanticize guys like Peter and John that we completely miss it. And we have the idea that God's given them some varsity level version of the Holy Spirit that he didn't give you that you get like 80%, it's JV. You're not Peter and John, nobody's gonna make a monument out of you. You're not gonna write anything that anybody's gonna be reading 2,000 years later. So it's like Peter and John, incredible, they're different. And yes, God had a, had a specific task in history for them, but I just wanna break it to you. We way over romanticize the scripture. Peter was just a dude. John was just a guy. They were people with struggles and infirmities that by the way, the gospels highlight, which is really interesting if you're a skeptic, they had all of the stuff that we experienced. They dealt with all of the doubt that we experienced. They deconstructed their faith and came back. And yet somehow they got to the place and the somehow was they saw Jesus rise from the dead and they believed it is true. We have the spirit of God inside of us. This is not, they're special people and we are not. We have all of the same power in us. In fact, Paul couldn't have been clearer in Romans 8, 11, that the spirit of God who did what? The spirit of God who raised Jesus from all of that power, all of that authority, all of that command, all of that strength that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? Then every believer has the same access to the same spirit in every generation and we don't believe it because if we believed it, we would pray like it. If we believed it, we would ask for it. And it's not that God's turning it on and turning it off. It is always available. It's always there. But God is asking you to believe and pray and move in proportion to the fact that this is offered to you and this is available, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you in your life, your circumstances. And can we just say this for a second as if I wasn't already preaching? Nobody has power like the Holy Spirit's power in your life. I don't care what else, no self-help book. No, I think I can figure this out. If we can just get a better strategy, I'll fix the relation. Nobody has power like the Holy Spirit's power. Nobody else is raising the dead. Nobody else is commanding nature and nature's obeying. Nobody else is giving sight to the blind. Nobody else is commanding all of authorities and kings and nations to obey him and to bow to him. Nobody has power like Jesus' power and he's inviting you to go, I have given all of that to to you and I didn't pour out my spirit so that you could occasionally tap into it. I didn't pour out my spirit so you could be marginally more mediocre. And it feels like you don't have what it takes and you're in over your head and you can't do it. And I'm not even sure I was cut out to follow Jesus and you can't. And yet Jesus has given you his power to do everything he's called you to accomplish. And last week we said the starting place, the prerequisite is just this, that you access and receive God's power when you choose to live under God's authority. To go, God, I'm surrendering all of this to you. This relationship is not what I want, but I think you're asking me to stay and I don't have the power to do it, so I'm surrendering this to you. 
I don't know how to make a connection with my kid. We did everything that we sought to do and now they feel so far from us and so far from you. And the only thing that I can do is submit this under your authority. I don't feel like I have the strength to be able to keep following you because I love Jesus. I wanna follow Jesus, but all of these things keep getting in the way and I just don't know if, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can be committed. I don't know if I can let go of this thing, but I'm submitting myself under your authority. I don't know if I can maintain faith through the doubt because it just feels like if you're a good God, you wouldn't allow this to happen and I'm hurting so bad. I don't know if I can keep going, but I'm gonna submit myself under your authority even when I can't connect the dots and I can't see what you're doing. But you access God's power by submitting your life under his authority to pray these words, God, your will be done. And I don't understand it potentially and I don't feel it and it doesn't make sense and I feel like I'm giving up too much. But I submit my life under your authority because here's the reality. When you live under your authority, you will be limited by your power. And I just tell you, I love you. Your power is not enough. You won't have what it takes. Eventually you will be in over your head and you will need help. And God sent a helper. But when you surrender yourself under and submit yourself under the authority of God. You place yourself under his power, his power, his authority, his power. A declaration of dependence is an acquisition of strength. A declaration of dependence is an acquisition of power. It is a declaration to go, I can't do this on my own. I submit this decision in my life to you. And in that moment, you are opening yourself up to receive the power of the Spirit of God to do what you could never do on your own. You submit yourself under his authority in the middle of his will, and then you pray for his power. You ask for his power. You plead for his power that it is no longer just God with you, it is God in you, the same spirit and power that raised Jesus from the dead, where you don't know how you're gonna get on, move forward, God, I'm asking for your power. God's led you into somebody's life and they need the hope in the life of Jesus and you feel like you have no courage. God, I need your power. God's called you to take a step and begin to be faithful and actually following him and not just playing this American version of I'll show up every once in a while and I'll throw up a prayer and you know, I'm gonna surrender my life to you. And so God, I'm praying for your power to be able to do that. I don't know how to parent these kids right now through this. I need your power. I don't know why you have me 27 and single and not where I wanted to be. I need your power to remain faithful to you. But I'm surrendering myself under your authority and I'm praying for your power. And here's what Ephesians 3.20 says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I think the bad rap that God gets is that he's always wanting to somehow under deliver. I'm willing to do immeasurably more than you could even ask, think, or imagine. You think your prayers are big, but it's according to what? One more time, according to what? His power that is at work within us, that everything God wants you to do is already in you. As we close, I just want you to pray this with me. And this is gonna seem a little weird because I feel like anytime I ask people to say things out loud in a big gathering, it just feels a little cultic. Um, that's not how I mean it. But I want, I want to anchor this into your heart. And for some of you, maybe your version of it, maybe you're not gonna pray these words. I want you to add this to your prayers. One, one, of, one of my prayers every time I get on the stage is actually to quote those verses. God, I'm asking you to stretch out your hand, to heal and perform mighty signs and wonders in the name of your servant Jesus by the power of your spirit, whether that's to save and redeem and reconcile people who thought they were gone a long time ago, whether it's to infuse worth into heart of a 50 year old who's lived apart from God their entire life, whether it's to heal and to redeem and to reconcile. But some of you know, I'm a big prayer journal person and I, there's prayers that I, I like to pray through every day because it constantly gives me vision for what God wants to do. And the very first one on my list is just this, God, I pray that I would live my life erring on the side of bold faith. That even if I go down in flames, I wanna go down believing too much. Even if I go down and I risk too much and it just, it all implodes, I wanna at least say, but the dude believed God 
and believed that God was gonna come through and was constantly looking for the next miracle, the next move of God, what God was gonna do through him, through his family, through his kid, what God was gonna do through that church and the community to change an entire region by the power of God in him. Every single day, God, I just, if I'm gonna err, I'm gonna err on the side of believing you too much because I have the power of the spirit of God in me. So would you guys stand with me all over the room? And I just wanna lead you in this prayer. And you're gonna say it after me. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. And I know some of you don't believe that yet and it kind of showed, but let's do it one more time. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. To the name of Jesus. The message of Jesus got out of the first century because there was a group of people that believed that was true. And it didn't work out great all the time. In fact, when they were faced with the threat of their life, they believed that his power would be enough for them to endure and to face it anyway. So God, we surrender to your authority and we pray for your power. Jesus, do what you wanna do in this moment, but it is my sincere belief that part of your desiring to communicate what you communicated today is that there is a lot of us where our faith is just kind of on life support. And we haven't abandoned you necessarily, but we just don't really believe you. And our prayers are small. In some cases, they're insignificant. Our vision is lacking and we're not sure you can. And so I pray whatever that looks like, whether we just need to believe that you can in regard to the circumstance may not change, but we need your power to move through it and to maintain faith and confidence in you anyway. And for others of us, you wanna flex your muscle to do something, to stretch out your hand, to perform a miraculous sign and wonder in the name of your holy servant, Jesus, not for even our benefit, but for the benefit of the glory of God to heal a relationship, to give us our faith back, to overcome a habit, to abandon self-centered lives and commit ourselves to you, to go, God, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna surrender my life to you. I'm gonna give my life away. I'm gonna tell others about the name and the fame of Jesus. I'm gonna surrender and give my life to your church. I'm gonna make a difference in my community. I'm gonna love my kids well. And I need your power. So I'm surrendering and submitting myself under your authority. And right now I'm asking for your power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.